Welcome into the uh, Whiskey 61 podcast. I'm Bo Bounds, and we are super, super excited to welcome in uh, my good friend, Robert St. John, chef, restaurateur, uh, author, and um, enthusiastic traveler, and I love this part, world-class eater, straight out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Robert St. John, welcome to the Whiskey 61 podcast. Bo, I'm honored to be here. You call me anytime. This is fun. So let's do, we've we've had you on several dozen times over the years, but um, we haven't had a chance to do the whole, where did Robert St. John grow up? How did Robert St. John get to 1987? We're Purple Parrot, and then everything that's happened since then. So for our listeners, um, you grew up in the Hattiesburg area. Yeah, I was born uh, in Hattiesburg, uh, 1961. Um, family had been there for several generations. I um, have an older brother uh, named Drew who actually lives uh, up here in Madison. Uh, our dad died when I was six, and um, my mom was an art teacher. They had met at Vanderbilt, and um, she hadn't finished her degree work up there. So he, he, after he passed away, she went back to school and, and then ended up getting a master's degree. And so she was an art teacher. She raised uh, my brother and me, never really remarried, uh, raised my brother and me up, you know, on an art teacher's salary. And, you know, I had, um, you know, really, really what I think of looking back, even though it didn't really, you know, I, I grew up without a dad, but man, I had an awesome childhood. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a, in a great neighborhood uh, with with a lot of friends, you know, and those were in the days when, you know, doors were left unlocked yeah. and, and that was you know, me and Bellhaven. Yeah, yeah, kids could roam and 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 just have, you know, my mom knew that she wasn't going to be able to hunt, you know, and she couldn't play football with these two boys, but she figured she could learn how to fish, and so there was a, a group of old Hattiesburg families. Uh, that had fish camps down on a place called John's Bio in uh, in Van Cleve on the Pascagoula River. Wow. And so she bought, um, I don't mean, I really don't know how she afforded it, but she bought a little fish camp down there. And so we spent our summers, and really my love of seafood and every came, everything came from there. That's incredible. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. So this is late 60s? Yeah, it would have been early probably 70s? early 70s. Yeah, so I, I was probably 10 when okay. she bought that thing. So maybe maybe I was 9, so 1970. And, you know, we put out crab traps during the day, and we'd fish for redfish and ski, water ski. and That's a kid's you know, dream. Yo, 100%. Yeah, it was, it, was, yeah, it was a little bit of Huck Finn, you know, on yeah. the Pascagoula River down there, which is a beautiful – it's the – I think it's the second largest – um, uh, water, uh, maybe uh, undisturbed watershed area uh, outside of the Everglades, Damn. the whole Pascagoula River Basin. So it's a beautiful area down there. And, um, you know, so we would cook seafood. And a lot of times, you know, we, we would go to some of those old line coast restaurants, Barra right. yeah, the Friendship House and, and places like that. And so, I never really thought of the food business. You know, I'm in the restaurant business. Never really thought of the food business at that point, but I, I certainly thought but, about seafood and loving to eat. And sure. Kind of so your dad was at Vanderbilt, and what was he <clears throat> studying? 
Yeah, so uh, he studied business. Okay. Um, he, my family was in the newspaper business. My my grandfather owned the Hattiesburg American, and I he planned to and and did. So he he got out of Vanderbilt, was in the Navy, spent two years uh, doing his uh, naval um, responsibility there. Got married my mom, and my dad moved back uh, to Hattiesburg, and they were working at the newspaper. He was the business manager. Uh, And around that time, they sold the paper to the Hedermans around maybe 19, right, probably right around the time I was born, 61 or so. But my dad stayed on and he passed. He was 36 years old, a young man, uh, 1968. So I think about those times with my mom, who would have been probably 34 years old and faced with. So my dad died uh, two weeks later. Martin Luther King's assassinated. Two months later, Bobby Kennedy's assassinated. And then they have the riots at the Democratic Convention. And I think back to my mom. I was oblivious. I was six years old. But I think back to my mom and and probably what, you know, those trying times, not only losing a husband and faced with, you know, raising these two boys and not knowing, you know, what in the hell we're doing. But, but you know, the world was in turmoil at that time too. Sure. So she's a tough lady. She's still alive, 88 years old. Uh, she's in an assisted living home, but, uh, she's, you know, I've, I always had, uh, really, really good examples of, uh, strong women, you know, in my life. My, my grandfather on my mother's side was kind of the, he, he was really a surrogate dad. To so me, he, but, he filled some of that void. Yeah, he, he worked for AT&T, and they lived in um, on the Upper East Side in Manhattan uh, until, like, 1970. I think he retired from AT&T. He was really he, – he worked on Madison Avenue in the 60s. So if you look at oh, Mad Men. Like Mad Men. The whole, that whole run, if you look at the photographs of my grandfather, his name was Hugh White, Um then uh, you know it's it's really that was the the era. I, we used to go up to New York and visit them. I'll tell you, I was in a doubleheader weekend with uh, the New York Yankees and the Washington Senators. We were in Yankee Stadium when they announced over the loudspeaker uh, that we had just landed on the moon, and and they stopped the game. They played the national anthem. It was a really cool thing, and then later that night we watched, uh, you know, watched them walk on the moon up uh, up in their apartment. But yeah, so he retired in 1970 and moved to Hattiesburg. He was from Nashville, but moved to Hattiesburg, and so he was, uh, you know, he was a great, great influence. He was a big outdoorsman, so any fishing or hunting or anything I did like that as a kid uh, went through him. He was he was a great guy, but uh, you know, I had a lot of, you know. Uh, I didn't really have a dad in the house, but I had a lot of dads in the neighborhood. All my, it was a really cool neighborhood in that all of these men who uh, grew up together in Hattiesburg in the, in the forties, my dad would graduate high school in 49. So give, give two years, take two years in that period. They all bought houses all next to each other in a subdivision. So I, so we grew up. Yeah. It was really, really cool. So, I mean, there were 20 houses with men who and who had gone to high school together who were all the same age, so they had kids around the same time. And so we all grew up together, and, and those men, um, you know, really kind of, I mean, I treated their house like it was my house. Yeah. I, I, you know, I roamed around the neighborhood and just made myself at home at all those places. So going to uh, 
Vanderbilt during that time was a mm. big deal. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, so. in he would, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he would take the train up and uh, was a, it was another uh, guy from Hattiesburg, his age, Bruce Campbell, who ended up being a banker in uh, Memphis. But, yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I think Vanderbilt was pretty good uh, in football even back then, maybe, you know. Yeah, we can't wrap our brains around yeah, that now. Swanee may have been in the SEC back That's then, right. too, though, so I don't know. Because that was about 1950. Yeah, Tulane, Georgia Georgia Tech. Were they still in the SEC back then? I think they were. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. so. Okay. Yeah, so they met. My mom actually did her first, her freshman year at Georgia, University of Georgia, because my... That's um, unbelievable. Yeah, my grandparents lived in Macon at the time. He was with AT&T uh, in Macon before they sent him to New York. And uh, and so she did her freshman year in Georgia. And then then I think they moved back to Nashville. So she went to Vanderbilt. That's where she met my dad and got married there. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so high school. Yeah. For me? Yeah. Where'd you, where'd you go? I went to a place called Beeson Academy. It was one of those. Um, Super small? Yeah, yeah. Very uh, 32 in my graduating class. Um, but I loved it, man. It was It was a great, great school. It was really... What PCS is today in okay. Hattiesburg, uh, this would have been the precursor, and it just you know was probably formed for all the wrong reasons and and didn't have a good you know foundation and basis, and I didn't learn a lot, but I had a lot of fun. Right, you know, it was it was a really good. I'm I'm telling you, my whole childhood, um, I look back and and have have nothing but just great memories. Uh, you know, of of, of my the childhood. neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, yeah. your mom. Yeah. I mean, going and getting a fish a cabin. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, I played football in junior high and high school. It was really the, I, I played one year of basketball. I was terrible at basketball. You know, I shot bricks, man. I think I have two points my whole basketball shot career. Bricks. Yeah. I was terrible. The whole backboard would shake. Yeah. You know? No touch. But, um, yeah, I loved football. Still love football. Played and, um, just, you know, I got into radio, actually. I, I had to work, so I started. Right, so when did you get in? When, the, you love sports, yeah. but you also, and you love food, obviously. Yeah. We're going to get, yeah. but you love music, too. Yeah. So by the time you're 10 years old, you know, I mean, the music in the world is, is it's insane it's what's great. going on between the yeah. Beatles yeah. And, and the Stones and what's happening everywhere else. But, all right, so... When I'm gonna back way up on music if I could. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. So my first 45 was I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. I was I was probably five and it had been out a year or so. And so I was really I'm just I'm still eat up with the Beatles. You are. But um, I love it. It cracks me up. <laughs> but music was something, you know, that that I mean it music has has been the probably other than movies, but music number one has been ever present really in every aspect of my life right. in every minute of every day kind of thing. And so, yeah, I was big into it and all the, as a little kid. And, um, so I wrote about this recently. My mom would go to friends houses and the, you know, they'd have cocktails and this kind of thing. My brother was old enough to kind of do on his own. She didn't want to leave me alone. <laughs> and so she'd take me with her. Right. And they would, you know, they'd be drinking, you know, scotch and waters and smoking yeah. cigarettes in the, in the other room. And they just kind of turned me loose in the house. And most of these people had older kids, kids that were substantially older than me. And so I'd just rummage around in the right. They'd let me play their music and stuff. And I, you know, a lot of times they'd be in the living room as one of those big 
you know, things that looked like a sideboard or something. You yeah. know, those old stereo systems. Yeah. And 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 so my parents had one. Yeah, yeah. Mine, my mom did too. And so they'd be in there, you know, visiting and and you know, having cocktails. And I'd be just listening okay. to everybody. And that's how I got. I can tell you the exact room I was in on the street and point to the window where I first heard Led Zeppelin three. Or I can tell you where I first heard the Beatles song in a different house, Mamie Lee and Pete Jones' house, where I heard the Beatles sing, Do You Want to Know a Secret? And I can tell you where I learned, you know, all of the all of that stuff, it made such a big impression on me. And and so music was the deal. And I had to work. You know, I, I started mowing yards, I guess, when I was 12. I wasn't going to have any money to do anything. Right. You know, I had to, I had to work. So I mowed yards at 12, but I... I got a job as a disc jockey at 15, working on the air. All right, real quick. Did yeah. you have a did Did you go to a concert yeah. in your teenage years, or maybe I went to a lot college? of concerts in my did, teenage. Did you years. have one that just something that sparked me? Well, to 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 become a DJ or just no, just, just music that I remember. Yeah. Oh, I went to a you know Reed Green Coliseum in Hattiesburg in the 70s. Got. All of the all of the great they had the University Activities Council was very very strong there and this is before um, in about 1980 they stopped getting really really big acts because people started hanging the lights and hanging the PA system and stuff and Reed Green is not equipped for that so all through the 70s though these are going to sound like really really old classic rock you know kind of kind of acts but if you take yourself back 50 years you know. Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Bob Dylan. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, Blue Oyster Cult. Um, Underrated. Uh, Buffett used to play there all the time. I saw Skinner. I saw Bachman Turner Overdrive, Chicago. Um, all those bands used to come to Hattiesburg. So you had access to great music in your backyard. Yeah, and I never paid for a concert. We always hopped the fence. I probably shouldn't say that on this <laughs> podcast. but We, we were, did it at Veterans Memorial yeah, we as rode kids. Our, yeah, we rode our bikes up there. And so we saw all those great concerts. Um, Commodores, you know, and <clears throat> so yeah, music was was ever present. I mean, it really. I didn't. I wasn't in my room without music playing. I wasn't in a car without music playing. I wasn't anywhere. I mean, it was nowhere. Yeah, and that actually, I'm 60 years old, and that's the that's the case still. And <laughs> all right, so take me to the DJ and the radio. Bug. Yeah. So at 15, maybe when I was 14 for my school's basketball games. I would uh, play, and this is what, man, this, I take a little credit. I hadn't thought about this until I'm saying it right now. But, you know, I went to a Chicago Bulls uh, playoff game one time in the 90s, saw Jordan play. I, I, I like, I want to see Jordan play. And it was actually when Shaq was at the Magic and uh, Horace Grant had gone to the Magic. And this was his first game back in Chicago. So the crowd was electric. And, you know, they played that, um, it's the Alan Parsons song, you know, to to lead in and it's a, it just builds up to this crescendo before Jordan comes out playing. Well, I did that. I did that way before the Chicago Bulls, and everybody <laughs> does that now. But but I did. I it was 1975, maybe I was. And what I would do, it was a crude, just record player like you would have in classrooms back then, without you know the speakers built into the to the record player, and uh, and I don't know why I started doing this. I never thought about it, but. But I would, uh, I would, I was the guy who introduced the. It was junior high basketball at BC. And you Academy. would introduce the starting lineup. Yeah, yeah, I'd introduce the starting, and then I'd put the uh, put the big, you know, one of those big old 
you know, radio voice, micro, electro yeah. voice microphones, and I'd stick it up next to the speaker. And I, I think the song was something by Foghat or something. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did that, and and I would do it, and I guess I was okay at it. And maybe my mom said, maybe you should get a job at a radio station. I had never thought about that. And so I went out to uh, WHSY AM. AM radio was the thing back then. Sure. And um, and they hired me, and I did weekends for the Saints games right at first. And so, and this this was, you know, I, I, I didn't do anything. I just sat there and, you know, moved switches. But when they went to a legal ID at the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour, I would get to come on and say, you're listening to the New Orleans Saints on WHSY AM. You know, and so it's my big moment. That was cool. Was, oh, it was the best. And I was 15 years old. And loved it. And eventually they gave me weekends uh, on the AM. Back then, I think a lot of people don't know this because I talk about it a lot. You know, FM radio um, came much, much, much later. And uh, when the FCC released FM frequencies, um, you know, people never even thought that was going to work. You know, all cars had in the, in the was an AM radio yeah. in there. And so, but the owners of these stations went ahead and, and took the FM frequencies just in case. Sure. But the FCC made them put programming, like you've got three years to put programming on or you're going to lose, lose the frequency. It. And so what most of them did, what, what my station did that I worked for, um, they put on a format called Beautiful Music, <clears throat> which is what we would call elevator music now. Ah. And um, all the money was being made in AM top 40 AM. And that's, I was in there. Eventually I was doing seven to midnight all through high school working 40 hours a week. And wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and you were loving it. Low. Every you second. probably didn't really I, think you were, you working. know what they paid me? I think it was like two seventy five an hour was minimum wage back then. And the dirty little secret is had I had any money, which I hadn't, I didn't, I would have paid them. I loved it so much. But I'll tell you one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of to this day. I'm a 60-year-old man, and I'm still talking about this. Today. I actually had a conversation at breakfast ex with this exact story I'm about to tell you. But WZZQ here in Jackson was yeah. was the – it was really – if you look back and look at some history with, uh, with album-oriented rock radio in the 70s, which was really programmed by DJs, it was before – uh, corporate radio got in and they had certain playlists and whatever. Yeah. ZZQ and Jackson here was like the model. It was great. I could barely pick it up on my clock radio in Hattiesburg. But those guys, Wayne Harrison, Perez, who is still in radio yeah. here, you know, he did overnights for I don't know how long. But ZZQ was the station. And if you look at a list today, if you Googled, you know, top album oriented rock stations of the 70s, you know, there may be WPLJ in New York, and uh, there'll be several others. Uh, I forget the one, uh, ROQ maybe in, in uh, K-Rock K out in L.A. But ZZQ in Jackson, Mississippi would have been probably in the top five. I mean, it was a really, really good station. Wow. So, so our station, uh, we, we were, they were selling the AM, and the FM was just in there. Nobody, you know, they didn't, so they would bonus you know, you buy AM spot and we'll give you the FM, you know, it was that kind of thing. Which is hard to wrap your brain around. And they had, so you got to imagine computer technology in the, in the mid to late seventies, they had this very, very antiquated automated system. And it had three reel to reels stacked on top of each other. And then 
a big cart carousel over here where you stuck the commercials in and the guy on AM would have to program and you programmed it with pegs. Like, you know, it was, a, it was very, very crude. And the thing went off all the time. It didn't, but nobody was listening because it was, you know, this, you know, elevator music. And, and so we like three of us at the station started working on the owner, a man named Charlie Holt and said, you let us do something with this FM. It's a hundred thousand watt FM. Just nobody listening to this big stick out in the country, you know, and it got all over the place at 104.5 was the frequency, you know, let us do something. No, no, no. Finally, I think we wore him down after about three months and he let us program it. <clears throat> and, but he wouldn't put any money behind it. So we, so I made all the reel-to-reels. I just put whatever music I was listening to, whatever I wanted, and we just did the automated version of this thing, and it exploded. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been. I really, you know, I was one of three or four people that brought rock and roll radio to Hattiesburg, Mississippi That's in 1978, and every, everybody was listening to it because there was no other alternative. Sure. It's not like you had satellite radio and, you know, Cassettes and eight tracks were expensive, and so everybody was listening to the radio. And 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 I was doing seven to midnight. Finally, they I bet it was in a matter of months. Maybe the Arbitron ratings came out or whatever, and and we surpassed everybody in town not by not even putting any money behind it. And so so the station immediately said, "All right, let's." And they started staffing it, and uh, we worked. And and it, but it then was you eventually went to college. Yeah, and so so you did this, and you you made the station happen. all through high school. I was part of I was part of a group of about five of people. Okay, that, uh, you know the program director kind of came, uh, you know he wasn't willing, but we did it, and then then we started getting the numbers, and and it was fun. But I would do things like you know I'd tell my friends because back then we had to shut off at uh, midnight. And I don't think we had to. It wasn't an FCC thing. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of those AMs would have to shut down at sundown. Right. Because of other frequencies, but those clear channel stations. But we would shut down at midnight. And I would tell my friends who were out driving around, you know, in high school, you know, up to no good. I'd say, look, just keep the radio on and keep driving around. They'd be at a keg party or something. I'd go back there and I'd shut the transmitter down. And we'd play that national anthem, shut the transmitter down at midnight sign out on the logs and wait about five minutes, boom. And I'd turn it all back on. And then I would just track like Pink Floyd albums and Led Zeppelin albums. And so every, all my friends are riding around Hattiesburg, you know, listening to stuff. And, and we're just, you know, we, we kind of ran the, ran the whole deal. It was, did, it was, it was a lot of fun. Did at some point where you considered, did you consider yourself a real DJ? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think I was. I mean, yeah. I was working forty hours a week. Yeah, I wasn't making any money, but I was. You know, I was working, and and it's really when you know a lot of uh, I was exposed to a lot of stuff. I probably you know a uh, sixteen-year-old, uh, seventeen-year-old, fifteen-year-old kid, you know, shouldn't because all the DJs were in their late twenties, right? You know, and they were doing grown-up things, right? And and so I was, you know, <clears throat> I was exposed to all the grown-up things. Which is I don't know good or bad, but Robert St. John on the Whiskey Sixty One podcast. All right, so then you I was exposed to whiskey. Actually, was yeah. one of those things. There I was you go. Exposed to. Yeah, and then and then so let's see. I'm trying to do the math. You're somewhere around a 1979 graduate. That's exactly when I graduated. Yeah, I graduated high school in 1979. 
Um, didn't know really what I wanted to do uh, with my life, but um, I had been working in radio. And so I thought, well, I just I was going to Mississippi State. My brother was already up there. He was kind of big man on camera. He had been bullied two different years, 76 wow. and 78. And um, that was a big deal. Oh, it was a really big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he was good at it. And, and so I uh, went off and majored in communications uh, because I figured, you know, well, maybe that's what I know how to do. And then uh, I had, I really nothing really spoke to me at that point. But I really just kind of majored in partying yeah, a lot. And I, I, I partied too. a lot. And um, our mutual friend Craig Carter was also yeah. uh, a freshman with me up there. So, and, all right, so seventy nine, y'all. Yeah, do. okay. Yeah, yeah. We and um, you know I got up uh, to Starbull, and and that's back in the days when the crossroads were out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I rarely, <laughs> I rarely went to class. And after about two years, if it was that, Mississippi State decided they no longer needed my services <laughs> in Starbull, and I flunked out really, which. Ended up, and I and I say this in speeches a lot of times to kids, that, you know, at that time in my life, at maybe I was 20, 19 maybe. I went to, school, I went to college at 17. So I must have been 19. Okay. And at that time, other than my dad dying, the worst thing that had ever happened to me was flunking out. I was embarrassed. You know, I came back home. All my other friends were off at Ole Miss or wherever they were, and, and they were doing well. And, you know, and I was embarrassed. I had flunked out, didn't know what I was going to do, and came came back to Hattiesburg, tail tucked between my legs. And there were two ladies opening a delicatessen. And it's uh, crazy enough, it's it's in the block that my current restaurants are in right now. Are you serious? Not, yeah, it's not there anymore. But, I mean, it, it is at the edge of the parking lot, this deli. And... um they they had no idea what they were doing. They'd never been in the restaurant business, and it they had no idea. It was apparent they had no idea because they hired me as the manager. And so this recent college you know flunk out who partied way 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 too much, and uh, and it was one of those things, Bo. I'm telling you, is this how I remember. It was probably a little longer than this, but how I remember it today, uh, forty years later, is that. Almost the first day at the first shift in the first hour, something clicked in me, and it was like, oh, this this is it. I love this. This whole restaurant thing, I love this. I love. So you got the bug. Instantly. It, seemed, it seems like maybe it was probably it took a week or something, but as I remember it now, it's, it was like right off the bat. It was like it was, it, was the, it, was the, it was the round peg in the round hole. You know, it's like, all right, this this. This is what I want to do. I love this. I loved the, you know, it was really, it was packed right there around was the lunch Was it like rush. old-time deli? It, a little, it, was a, it was a very crude version of that. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was a deli. I mean, we did sandwiches and, and stuff, and I knew nothing. I'll tell you, I, I was just doing a book signing up at Square Books, and Andy Howorth, who's the retired judge up there, um, Richard Howorth owns Square Books, and he was former mayor. Andy was the judge up there. But back then, Andy was a Cisco salesman in Hattiesburg, and he was our rep. And he really taught these two ladies, I mean, pretty much everything. They they had the idea of let's open, which is is the curse of the restaurant business because everybody kind of, this is what happens in the restaurant business. You got a guy, you know, old George, man, he cooks a good steak out in his backyard, 
and all his buddies, George, man, that's an awesome steak. You need to open up a restaurant. And then, you know, he pays attention to his friends and he opens a restaurant and he learns pretty quickly that cooking a good steak is about 5% of what you need to know right. to run a restaurant. And that's why bankers hate restaurants. Cause they, you know, everybody in the world can get in it if you want to. And then that's what happened here. But, but thank, thank the Lord for Andy Howarth who, you know, gave, um, gave them guidance, gave me guidance. And, uh, we opened, and I loved it so much that I started waiting tables. So I managed the deli during the day and I started waiting tables at night. Uh, Hattiesburg had a cock of the walk back then. I was on the opening crew. So I started waiting tables. Did Ken I, Jackson own it at that time um, or was that the, later? It was a franchise oh, okay. that, um, Brett and Drew Henson, who were Hattiesburg guys, uh, Drew went on to own several restaurants in Tuscaloosa after that. But, um, yeah, so I was on the opening crew as a server there. And so I was working two jobs, just eat up with it. And I was like, you know, I got to get back to school. The problem was I was partying too hard still. And so I, you know, I kept getting in my way. Right. Know? But but I knew what I wanted to do. So I was, I was fortunate enough that I guess at 20, 19, I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life right then. Got I the bug. The, I wanted the to be in the restaurant business. gave you the bug. Yeah, yeah, that was it. We're visiting with Robert St. John, restaurateur, author, entrepreneur. Out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you're listening to the Whiskey 61 podcast. We'll continue our conversation with Robert St. John on the other side. Well, I know most people in town. Save me 